Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint with me today. My Merry Christmas friend, Jay Harvey. How are you? Merry Christmas, Jim. And you know, I say my Merry Christmas friend because Jay and I spent some years together in a production of Charles Dickens' classic short story, A Christmas Carol, right? Right. I mean, you did this for a few years, and, and what character did you play? Well, I always played the narrator, Dickens, and, and I didn't feel worthy of doing it, but boy, did I learn a lot about him, about the gospel, about hope, and about other people. Well, I mean, you did Dickens, and you nailed it. And if you read the original story, you know, we are familiar with it because someone told us the story, or we had a condensed version, or we saw a movie. But if you actually read what Charles Dickens wrote in his original book, which was published in London in 1843, became an immediate bestseller. Yeah. He was already an author of some renown, but this really cemented his place in English literature. But if you read his original writing, he himself is the narrator. He kind of sets up the scenes. It's really fascinating because he uses the word carol, Mm -hmm. which actually in his world, carol meant a song about the birth of Jesus. Right. I mean... In his original audience, when they heard the word Carol, they didn't think about anything else. They didn't think about a woman named Carol or... or Carol Brady or, or anything. Yeah, yeah. nothing like that. It, it was a song about the birth of Jesus. So he's saying, this is a Christmas song, song about the birth of Jesus. And then he sets it up in five staves. That's what he uses, the term mm-hmm. five. Five staves, they're like scenes. But stave in the Victorian English meant stanza. Mm-hmm. So it's a Christmas song about Jesus in five stanzas. Mm, brilliant. <laughs> it is brilliant. And then he unpacks this cast of characters. Wow. Well, here we are at Christmas time, Jay. Let's just dive in a little bit and think about A Christmas Carol and what it says to us about Christmas. Christmas Carol is perhaps one of the most familiar stories of all time, or by that I mean certainly in the last uh, century and a half, no story has had greater traction globally than this one. I mean, let me just yeah. call out a name. Name a character. Oh, uh, Scrooge. Scrooge. I mean, right. Can anyone say the word Scrooge? When you hear that, right. what do you think about? Right. You see the character of the story. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the basic outline. Okay, how about Tiny Tim? Right. Oh, you see the little kid. How about Bob Cratchit? Exactly. Oh, the poor, long-suffering, poor employee of Scrooge. Right. Well, we even say the name a little more obscure in the story, but still resonant. Jacob Marley. Oh, my. Yes. Marley's ghost. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, it's all... So many images come to mind in the popular imagination. It is a testament to the genius an inspiration of Dickens. Now, Dickens wrote a lot of books, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, can you name another mm-hmm. book that's famous? No, I can't. Oh, come on. Oliver Twist. Okay. David Copperfield. Right. Great Expectations. Oh, I had to read in the eighth grade. Miss Haversham, I yes. remember. How about the Pickwick Papers? There's okay. a name. The Pickwick Papers. I do remember that. A Tale of Two Cities. Now, that's the one oh. that I would say is my second favorite, actually. Well, I'm, all of these are just... I mean, think about this catalog of phenomenal uh, stories... And again, names of people, the characters bring to life ourselves and people we know or, or, or they frame the world around us. So a David Copperfield or an Oliver Twist, the orphan boy in a workhouse. These are right. all kind of 
motifs of life. Yes. And they're born in a really, really difficult period. Here we are, Jay, at the end of 2020, and we think the world is pretty rough. Yeah. I mean, it has been. Right. A lot of trials and tribulations, the pandemic, the economic outfalls of the pandemic, the political tensions of our time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we might think this, this is really a messed up year. Right. But if you're back in 1843, <laughs> right. you know, it wasn't necessarily just a singing in the rain then either. No, let's have a little perspective here. Uh, it was much different back then. Lots of things that we would probably not even believe, if I told my kids, probably wouldn't even believe that they went on back then, like debtors' prisons and things like that. You're spot on, Jay, because the world of 1843 was a world of the debtors' prison. Right. Victoria had just come to the throne in 1837, so she had been about six years the queen. She was a beautiful young woman, and there was that kind of glamour. Even in an age before social media, people were following the royal family. Mm -hmm. But the people on the street... The class divisions were huge. There was a very small middle class. People had money or they didn't. And the legal system of of Great Britain at the time was in evolution. Actually, about just a few decades before the Christmas Carol story was written, Britain had a system of social relief that was organized around church parishes. Mm -hmm. And it was by law. Every church parish, and there were like 15,000 parishes in the United Kingdom at the time, was responsible for taking care of the poor Mm. in their community. And everybody had to contribute, and the church had to make some of its income available to the poor. Then there were the poor taxes. This was where the middle and upper classes were actually taxed to give money to the local parishes to help the poor. And Mm. the world was going through the Industrial Revolution. People were displaced. They were running away from the farm country, which was also being gobbled up for industry. And they were coming to the cities and and there were no labor laws. I mean, it was a mess up. So just before A Christmas Carol was written, just a few years before, the government changed the poor law. They called it the new poor law. And it was designed to lower taxes because the upper classes were objecting to the taxes they paid out the poor and made the same arguments we hear today. They're too lazy. Right. They, they've, they've made their own choices. Right. Uh, <laughs> we don't want to pay taxes to bail them out. And what they did was they created a system of workhouses. And you can see this mm-hmm. in the Christmas Carol story. The workhouses, these were institutions developed to be so vile, so horrific, that people would do anything to stay out of them. In other words, I will starve on the curb before I'll go to that workhouse. Mm. But it also then lowered taxes. <laughs> In other words, right. see, so the relief measures were designed to cause the poor to just stay away from seeking any relief. And of course, ostensibly, you could argue, well, maybe to inspire them to get good jobs. But it was not right. a world like our own. They just couldn't go get a job. Right. All this to say... Dickens himself was a victim of this in his childhood. His dad was thrown into debtor's prison. His family was uh, held together, but he, at the age of 12, had to go work in a blacking factory. This would be like a shoe polish factory, but it was dreadful. It was unhealthy. He wrote later about the rats always running about and their incessant squealing about the dank, damp, dark mm. place. He went every day for 10 hours, 12 hours a day, no so, day off. So right now I'm getting a, a new perspective of 2020 for me. It's not that bad. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that Dickens lived right, it. And so his fiction, he becomes the most successful author of his time. He makes lots of money. He becomes the first celebrity the world has ever known, mm. but it's born out of his own journey. And that's what makes it so amazing. Mm. 
Here's another thing, Jay, about Dickens' world. Christmas had been a big thing in Christmas, but it kind of fallen by the wayside. It was celebrated with a lot of smiles and laughter and special moments in the countryside. But when the Industrial Revolution came and people fled from the country into the cities, they were detached from their families and they didn't have money and it, they couldn't go out to eat and they couldn't buy a turkey. Or I mean, so the actual celebration of Christmas was waning in the cities. And Dickens wanted it to be revived because even when he was poor, hmm. When he was a child, Christmas was this like break. It was like this moment when things seemed to get better, when the light shined a little brighter. So in A Christmas Carol, he describes mm. that the re-engagement of Christmas, even in London, which is the stage of the story, and how people are, are bright and they're singing songs because he was bringing that back. And he actually defined Christmas, our celebrations right. of it in many ways. Right. But with all of that, you have to think, this is a remarkable story, and it's so genius. Where did it come from? I mean, right. did he just lay awake at night dreaming these people up, or what was it that poked him? We all know that great literature is often born in personal experience, and, and we've already described his own journey as a child was in abject poverty. And so that informs his writing. But these characters and, and the whole structure of the story, where did it come from? Jay. I know you've heard of this. There are some scholars who think that he was actually inspired by something in the New Testament. Have you heard of that? Yes, and it wouldn't surprise me because the master storyteller, as we know, is Jesus. And many of his parables have gone on to serve as uh, backdrops and structure for other great storytelling. And Dickens, uh, it was said that he was sitting in a church and heard the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, and that began the inspiration for A Christmas Carol. It's speculative, but a lot of the pieces of the puzzle fit. We know that Dickens read the scripture and was very well-versed in the scripture. I mean, he knew it frontwards from backwards. We know that he really quoted from scripture and infused all of his literature with biblical themes and narratives. We know that he had a great affection for Jesus. His own personal journey was complicated, but nevertheless, he had a profound respect and a kind of drawing like a, to a magnet with Jesus. Right. He actually wrote a book for his children mm. called The Life of Jesus Christ. Wow. He took the New Testament, he took the Gospels, and he restated them, much like uh, a yeah. paraphrase. He forbid the publication of the book. He had many children, I think eight or nine kids. And he, he forbid anyone in the family to publish that book until after he was dead. So mm. it never saw the public until after he died when his youngest son published it. But what's interesting is in the book, the core of it are eight parables of Jesus. <laughs> Dickens was a storyteller. Wow. And he recognized that Jesus was the greatest storyteller. And so he chose eight of the parables of Jesus that become the main body of this narrative he wrote for his kids, the life of Jesus. And the beginning of it, he tells the Christmas story, he restates Luke chapter 2 and so on, and he talks about Jesus and, and some of the events in his life. But these parables are the core. And one of those parables is the one you just named. Think about of all the things that Jesus taught, he chose eight things. And one of them is the story of the rich man and Lazarus, which really is so much like a Christmas carol.
let's pull it up, Jay. What did Jesus say, the greatest storyteller of all time? What did he say that may have, in fact, inspired Dickens to write this great short novel, A Christmas Carol? This is Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19. I'm going to take it down a ways, and then you pick it up. Okay. Here's how it goes. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Let's just stop right here. (laughs) Jesus as a storyteller. In one paragraph, Mm -hmm. I am being translated into a scene. I see a man who's dressed to the nines, who has a plate of food in a beautiful home. I see him in the lap of luxury. And right outside his door is a man in such desperate poverty that he has open sores that dogs lick. Mm. I mean, it's so vivid, isn't it? Yeah, Next, Jesus continues, finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. Again, here's Jesus drawing the telescope down, precisely taking a magnifying glass and showing us Mm -hmm. what happens, that none of us die and disappear. Right. We move from this world to another world, and there are two destinations in that other world. This is something we don't talk about much anymore, but right. it's it's so Jesus. Right. <laughs> and he's telling the story. The poor guy went to the heavenly banquet. The rich guy ends up in a place of torment. Right. The rich man shouted out, Jesus said, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here, being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Mm. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is... This is a hopeless situation, and I actually think this must be the most terrifying reality of hell itself, Mm -hmm. that it's hopeless. Hopeless. There is nothing. There is just no way out. Hope is the only thing that helps us endure hardship. And if there is no hope, I mean, you're lost. Well, given that reality, what does the rich man say back, Jay? Well, uh, picking up in verse 27, it says, Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus told is so vivid. It's stark. It's filled with detail. It's not very long. But man, you can't hear mm. it without walking away with from, oh, I need to think about that. Similarly, A Christmas Carol, as novels go, it's short. It's very vivid. Mm-hmm. And you can't hear it without walking away from it and thinking, 
hmm, there's something there I need to think about. Jay, walk with me through the yeah. story of A Christmas Carol, the Dickens classic that I think everyone in our audience knows. Not everyone in our audience may be familiar with the parable of Jesus. Right. But everyone knows A Christmas Carol. So let's, let's draw some parallels between the characters. Right. So let's start with Scrooge. Well, exactly. What do you think about his name, Scrooge? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Scrooge is it's over the top. It's you know, like you said earlier, you hear that and you immediately think of someone who's bitter and mean and greedy. But his first name, Ebenezer, Scrooge, and and from Scripture, you know, a helpstone, Samuel seven twelve. Thus far, the Lord has helped us, and and we're talking about the raising the Ebenezer is is a line from a hymn, and so there's a lot going on there. Ebenezer actually is a biblical name, right? and uh, Samuel, in the first book of Samuel that bears his name, is described in the history as, as marking a great victory, a triumph in, in his people's lives. And, and they put up a stone, and hitherto, in the old King James, That's right. has the Lord helped us? It's the Ebenezer stone. It's, it's a stone. It's, Samuel created the word, it seems, from Hebrew, two words, stone and help, and mm-hmm. it became a marker. Ebenezer is a name that just has so much like poetry to it. Yes. And Scrooge actually in the time of of Dickens was a was like a colloquial term that people would understand in a way that we don't that was Scrooge was very close to to squeezing. Mm. You, you might say I I I'm I'm scrooging yeah. the orange or whatever. Right, it, right. It's about squeezing. So here he's got a name. <laughs> it's a hopeful name in a way. Hitherto has the Lord helped us. Oh, but squeezing I'm yes. a Scrooge and the, the juxtaposition is really striking. And he's the, the central figure of the story. Mm. It's so much of a caricature, and yet, honestly, it sounds a lot like some of the things I hear today. Then there are the Cratchits in the story. This is the wonderful family that's made rich by its love for each other. They're yes. poor, they're materially impoverished, but they have laughter at their house. They do. And they have games they play, and, and they celebrate even the smallest thing. They found a way of being content, even mm-hmm. in their poverty. And the Cratchits, of course, are a parallel of Lazarus, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And, and Scrooge is a, a parallel of the rich man. I mean, the parable is coming to life in 1843 in London by Dickens' genius, but actually the characters are fixed. Oh, but wait, wait. There's some other characters in the Christmas Carol, like um, the ghost of Marley. Well, you know, as you read through the parable and, and the rich man dies, he pleads for someone to go and warn his brothers. And and so that, to me, represents, um, you know, somebody that's already crossed over. And and now that the, the rich man sees what he sees and sees the chasm, and, and he, he now begins to care about others. And so he wants someone to go and warn his living brothers. And, um, of course, we know the response that he got. And given that analysis, which is very smart, Jay, I think, actually... Maybe Jacob Marley is the rich man. Absolutely. It's Could not be. Scrooge. It's right. not Scrooge. It's Jacob Marley. Right. He's the guy who was Scrooge's business partner. Right. A rich man who, like Scrooge, had no compassion, no time of day for those in need, who simply aggregated things to himself and was proud of it. And then when he died, he discovered the folly of his life and the failure of his life to, by faith and by his conduct, prove his faith true and the outcome. And so the rich man 
is maybe more like Jacob Marley. Right. And he's begging, send somebody back to the people I care for, to my brother, Ebenezer Scrooge, still in the office. He still has a chance. Mm-hmm. This is where Dickens takes the parable and expands it, or he, he plays with it. And this is what I imagine him hearing it or studying it and thinking, well, what would it be like if somebody actually did come back from the grave? Right, right. And so Marley appears in the story, but it's right in line with the parable's narrative. And I got to say that that as many times as I've seen the play, seen the movie, seen versions of the movie, the book, and doing it with you on stage and with others, the line that always got me was Marley saying mankind should have been my business. Now, now you, that, that's just such the perfect it's line. It's so powerful. It sums it up perfectly. And so what we have is in this A Christmas Carol story, we actually have characters that Jesus gave us. And it could be argued that he did not give us the ghost of Jacob Marley because that was forbidden. But in the story of Scrooge, Dickens manages that by making it a dream. It doesn't actually happen. It's just a dream, right. but it builds on the suggestion of Jesus. But, of course, the parable makes the point very clearly. Even if someone rose from the dead, right, right. people would not pay attention because they have everything they need. Here is Dickens saying, all of us already have what we need. This is yeah. Jesus already saying, you already have what you need. You have the revealed word. Mm. You have the Moses and the prophets. You have the scripture. Even if someone comes back from the dead, for some people... Hearts so hardened, it won't Mm -hmm. be enough. Our days are all numbered. And as Christmas comes around, we're conscious of the turning of the page of time, aren't we? Mm. Christmas always is sandwiched up against the new year. It's the last stop before a new year. It makes us conscious that time is marching on. Time is flying by for all of us. And A Christmas Carol is a good reminder that time is flying by, that all of us have days that are numbered. We do not number them. Heaven does. And it's a good reminder that if we're still here, if we still have a day, we still have a chance to alter the course. Mm. The Christ of Christmas shows up in A Christmas Carol as Tiny Tim goes to church on Christmas Day, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually goes right. to church on Christmas Day, right. and he observes as himself a disabled child, physically disabled. He, he observes others, and, and he famously is quoted by Dickens as saying, I thought how pleasant it was mm-hmm. that I, being a disabled child, might be seen by others coming to celebrate Christmas and remember he who blessed people like me. Mm-hmm. In other words... I celebrate a Christmas, Tiny Tim said, with the knowledge that my life itself draws people to think about Jesus. Yes. Wow. This is the future of life, isn't it? This Mm -hmm. is the future of eternity. This is how I want to be. This Christmas, we can be so distracted by the lights. And in this pandemic Christmas, we may actually pull out the stops to buy more lights for our house because we've been trapped inside. Right. (laughs) Or, you know, we're going to go all out with that... That aluminum Christmas tree that's a retro throwback. And all of that can be fine, but it's not fine if it eats up the real Christmas Mm -hmm. and if it denies you the chance and the moment to think about the world around us, to see the people who are in need, to see yourself as in need, to see how your own heart can be changed and you can have a more generous spirit, how none of that can work unless you bow before the Christ child. Mm. How do you celebrate Christmas this year? 
I want to invite you to join us in a prayer. Jay and I are going to pray, and you can pray right alongside. Just know we're going to be talking to God. We're going to seek his intervention in our own lives and in yours too. Just take a deep breath with us and pray. Dear Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the Christmas time, for the way in which it marks the pivot of history, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem 20 centuries ago. We're thankful for Jesus, Jesus real, alive. And we thank you for the work of Jesus in this world, that he was born not just so that we could have a a happy story or a greeting card, but so that our lives could be changed and we could change the lives of those around us and we could find life eternally. We thank you, Lord, for the genius of Dickens and for the wonder that is a Christmas carol. And we thank you for the chance all of us have this Christmas to make a choice. I pray that you'll open my eyes, open Jay's eyes, open the eyes of our audience, that we might see the world around us, see the people that you see, and be drawn to them as Jesus is drawn. We thank you, Lord, for this Christmas time and pray that for all of us, we'll turn the page to a new year following Jesus, saved by him, and we ask it in his name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about how you can draw closer to this Jesus, know more about him, and actually be used by him for the good, how you could find joy, well, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We're right by the phone, and we are so glad to hear from you. Your questions, your comments, your concerns, call us up. But Jay, I know not everyone will call. That's right. How can they check us out online? Well, online, you can go to www.cbhviewpoint.org. Exactly. CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope, that's who we are. Check us out online, send us an email, we will reply. Or maybe you're accessing this presentation on social media already. You're online already in a social media feed. If you're checking us out that way, just put a comment in the social media feed. We monitor those, I promise, and we'll get back to you. Or at the last, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana 46018. USA. But whether you call us up, check us out online, communicate with us via social media, or use the post, let us hear from you this week, this Christmas. Hey, Jay, so glad to have you alongside. Man, I am in the Christmas spirit again. This I am, is great. I am for it, and nobody can pull that Dickens off better than you. I just oh, promise. thank you. Appreciate that. Hey, and thank you for tuning in today. We hope you'll be with us again next week when we continue to unpack this great classic story, A Christmas Carol, and build some bridges to the here and now, Scripture 2. Until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, This is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned and Merry Christmas.